Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Participants, please stand by. Your meeting's ready to begin. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the RF Capital's fourth quarter and year-end 2020 conference call. I would like now to turn the meeting over to Mr. Rocco Coella, Managing Director, Ma- Managing Director, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Mr. Coella. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone. This is Rocco Coella, Head of Investor Relations at RF Capital. Welcome to our fourth quarter and year-end 2020 earnings conference call. If you have questions following this call, please reach out to Investor Relations. Please see my contact information at the end of our earnings release. Before we get started, I would like to remind you that this call is being webcast and available for subsequent replay. Today's remarks may contain forward-looking information and actual results could differ materially. Forward-looking information is subject to many risks and uncertainties. Certain factors or assumptions applied in the forward-looking information can be found in our latest AIF and MDNA. Both documents are available on our website and CDAR.com. This morning, on the call, is our President and CEO, Keish Kapoor, and our CFO, Ben Scholten. Keish will provide opening remarks related to the recently completed transformative transaction involving Richardson Wealth and other key takeaways from the most recent quarter. Ben will then cover the fourth quarter and year-end financial results. Keish will end with closing remarks, following which we will open the call to questions from analysts. I will now turn over the call to Keish. Thanks, Rocco. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. The last few years have been truly transformative for our company. We promised change, and change we did, even in the midst of a global health pandemic. Over the past two years, we exited the capital markets business, we concluded the consolidation of the ownership of Richardson Wealth, and focused all our attention and resources on supporting our advisors and their clients across Canada. We returned $79 million to our shareholders by way of dividends and a $40 million buyback of our shares. We entered into $36 million in recognition agreements with Richardson Wealth's talented advisors, who now just who now own just under 31% of our company. We inspired Richardson Financial Group to leave $75 million that they would have otherwise been entitled to on closing of the RGMP transaction in our business to support our ambitious growth initiatives. And we secured the right to use the Richardson name to promote our corporate brand across Canada. We have many to thank for this extraordinary outcome, especially our 160 advisory teams, which is down from 162 at the end of year, at the end of last year, following the consolidation of two internal teams in early 2021, our 800 employees, and a growing base of clients who never wavered in their support, and our shareholders who voted overwhelmingly in favor of this transformative change in our business. Early results show we are off to a good start. As of last Friday, our 160 advisor teams managed 31.4 billion for 31,000 clients across Canada. This is a new record for client assets at Richardson Wealth. 
and it is 2.9 billion higher than we started the transformation at the beginning of 2019. Adjusting for advisors that left us during this period, in other words, looking at the asset growth attributable to only to advisors who stayed with us or joined us over the last two years, the growth we achieved is even more impressive. On that measure alone, assets were up by 6.2 billion. And more recently, growth over the past five months since the acquisition in assets from advisors who chose to stay or join Richness and Wealth over that period were up 3.6 billion. Recruited and new assets accounting for 1 billion of that increase with the remainder attributable to strong market performance. All these factors highlight why we believe after a difficult multi-year journey to transform the business, we have positioned the company for long-term success in the dynamic, fast-expanding wealth management industry in Canada. If we get just a small share of the expected growth from $4.4 trillion today to the $7.8 trillion in 2028, we can grow our business several fold. We intend to do that by growing our existing client base, attracting new advisors and their clients, and by acquiring like-minded firms. Work on that front has already started. Management and the board, with considerable input from our investment advisory teams across Canada, and the support of a global consulting firm with deep expertise in wealth management, we have begun to thoughtfully map out an ambitious growth strategy. It will leverage the firm's national platform, scale, best-in-class advisors, and breadth of wealth management solutions to gain a greater share of wallet in the lucrative wealth management market. The strategy, will exercise, the strategy will encompass validating our view of the external market and our capabilities, laying out the desired end state vision and value proposition to our advisors and their clients, and developing a multi-year execution roadmap. We intend to complete the review by the second quarter of 2021 and communicate the key elements of our plan to our shareholders and, in fact, everyone in the firm by mid-year. To help with the successful execution of our growth agenda, we've added high-caliber talent to our board and our senior leadership team. Joining the board over the past several months are independent directors David Lee and Nathalie Bernier. David brings over 25 years of investment banking depth, including significant mergers and acquisition expertise. He was most recently head of a large Canadian financial institution's investment and corporate banking division. David is an accomplished executive and a highly respected and experienced corporate director. Natalie is a seasoned executive with extensive experience transforming businesses and implementing innovative growth strategies. As former CFO of the Public Sector Pensions Investment Board, she led the transformation of that firm's five-year strategy, which resulted in a 50% increase in net assets under management between 2019 and 2015 and 2019. And more recently, we announced that Tim Wilson will be joining our management team as Chief Financial Officer, effective April 5, 2021. Tim has a proven track record of delivering profitable growth and improving operational performance. We're thrilled by the impact they're already having in our business and look forward to introducing them to you at our upcoming AGM. Other highlights at Richardson Wealth include, first, the wealth management reported recording, sorry, the the wealth management segment reported record recurring fee-based investment management income in the fourth quarter and full year 2020. Second, Richardson Wealth was named a great place to work for the third consecutive year 
with 94% of advisors indicating they're proud to tell others they work at the company. Further, 95% of advisors said Richardson Wealth is a diverse and inclusive workplace. Third, Joseph Backish in our Point Claire uh, office in Quebec was named the Investment Industry Association of Canada's top 40, top under 40 award recipient. Fourth, several of our advisors were recognized by another wealth management publication as one of Canada's top 50 advisors. We had five recipients, the third most of any firm in Canada, and more than any bank-owned firm. Joseph Backish, Mark Dalpe, Alexandra Horwood, Ida Kajori, and Kyle Ritchie. Fifth, we entered into strategic alliances with two of Canada's leading independent firms, Cormark Securities, in June last year, and healthcare specialist Bloom and Burton just last month. These alliances will help expand an already broad shelf of wealth solutions by providing advisors and their clients preferred access to research, investment research, investment ideas, new issues, investment funds, and other investor events. The power of these strategic relationships is evidenced by a six-fold increase in the dollar value participation in the deals led by Cormark. A substantial increase in the number of transactions introduced to our firm by Cormark, access to research on over 280 companies, and their recent addition of real estate capabilities in response to demand from our advisors. And finally, in preparing for an exciting new future, we're moving into soon-to-be-constructed modern, modern premises on Toronto's waterfront in 2023. This new building will meet the highest standards in environmental sustainability, and, it desi and its design will, be support, uh, will support collaboration, connection, and idea exchange, which best represents the future of work. These successes and milestones bode well for our wealth management business in 2021 and beyond. Before I turn the floor over to Ben, I would like to acknowledge and thank him for assuming the interim CFO role. This will be Ben's last conference call as CFO as he transitions the role to Tim over the coming months. Thank you, Ben. Over to you now. Thanks, Keish. Before I dive into the results, I want to highlight that Q4 and 2020 were periods of transformation and not reflective of our operating potential going forward. They include costs and other one-off one items incurred to conclude our transformational wealth transaction. Further, under IFRS, our financial performance only consolidates the financial results of Richardson Wealth since our acquisition of the business on October 20th. We reported net income from continuing operations of 40 million in the fourth quarter of 2020 and net income of 29.4 million for the full year 2020. Diluted earnings per share were 52 cents in Q4 and 26 cents for the full year. The following one-time numbers impacted our Q4 and 2020 results a $45.7 million accounting gain on investment in associate recorded in Q4 on completion of the Richardson Wealth transaction. $1.2 million of acquisition-related costs incurred in Q4 and $6.7 million incurred for full year 2020. And $2.6 million pre-tax in amortization of acquired intangibles recorded in Q4 it is worth noting that under IFRS, 
these intangible assets will be amortized on a straight-line basis over their useful life, adding approximately $13 million pre-tax, $9.5 million after-tax in annual amortization expense. And Richardson Wealth also incurred $4.1 million and $7.1 million in Q4 and 2020, respectively, in one-time costs prior to its consolidation with our proportionate share of those costs, $1.4 million in Q4 and $2.4 million in 2020. These costs were related to the accelerated vesting of RSUs in connection with the Richardson Wealth transaction and retention payments provided in shares rather than loans made largely under the recognition plan. These costs reduced our share of income from associate in their respective periods. Let me now briefly comment on Richardson Wealth's standalone results for the full year 2020, noting that our consolidated results only reflect their results commencing October 20th. At Richardson Wealth, adjusted EBITDA was $43.5 million in 2020. This was down from $50.3 million in 2019, largely due to lower interest income on cash balances, which decreased sharply following the 150 basis point decrease in the prime rate in March 2020. Revenues were $268 million in 2020, including record investment management and fee income of $208 million. This recurring and stable fee-based income represented 78% of total 2020 revenue. AUA grew by $1.7 billion to $30.3 billion in 2020, increasing 6% with 2019, and hit a record high last month, up $1.1 billion to start the year. The path to arrive where we are today has certainly not been a straight line. It has involved everyone working together toward a common goal, united by a special culture that differentiates our firm. Let's now turn briefly to working capital. At the end of 2020, net working capital stood at $88 million. This is after the $40 million substantial issuer bid, $33 million in retention payments, $2 million in preferred dividends, and $1.2 million in acquisition-related costs. We intend to deploy this amount to support and accelerate our growth initiatives. Richardson Wealth's strong financial performance, record fee income, and more recently, record AUA, when combined with a strong balance sheet, evidences that we have a solid foundation from which to be an ambitious attacker to drive profitable growth. Thank you to all my colleagues for your hard work and commitment to ensuring we are prepared for what promises to be a bright future. Now I'll turn it over to Keish for closing remarks. Thanks, Ben. Uh, before my closing remarks, I want to take the opportunity to thank Andrew Marsh, Richardson Wealth CEO, and Elliot Munchnik, Richardson Wealth CFO, for their outstanding service. Both will be leaving the firm later this month. After 17 years at the firm, including 11 as CEO, Andrew decided to step away from day-to-day operations move, to move to the owner's box. Among his many accomplishments, Andrew grew AUA from $11 billion to just over $31 billion and oversaw several transactions, including assisting me in consolidating Richardson Wealth under the public company. Andrew has agreed to stay on in a consulting role for the next two years, serving as an ambassador for Richardson Wealth, 
He also remains a significant and incredibly supportive shareholder. Elliot has been Richardson Wealth CFO for the past 14 years. He built a strong finance organization, a strong team, always guided by <clears throat> and has always guided the firm to multiple transactions. We respect both Andrew and Elliot's personal decisions. On behalf of the entire company, I thank Andrew and Elliot for their significant contributions to making Richardson Wealth the leader it is today, including being strong advocates for the firm's advisor-centric culture, commitment to provide exceptional client experience, and promoting a work environment that has consistently ranked the company as a great place to work. We intend to build on all these trends to unlock our full potential and are confident that our results in the coming quarters, not just our words, will inspire confidence in clients, advisors, shareholders, and others who we, others who we hope to attract to the firm. The Richardson name on the door signals a return to an era when the name on the door mattered and the connection with its founder was a powerful draw for, wealth fam for wealthy families and advisors alike. Independent wealth managers are enjoying a renaissance of sorts across Canada, and we believe our firm, with a proven brand, scale, and a national platform, is well positioned to capture a greater share of this lucrative market. So stay tuned for more to come. Please continue to, to be well and stay safe. I will now turn the, back, the call back to Rocco. Thanks, Keish. That concludes our formal remarks this morning. Operator, we are now ready to open the call to questions. Thank you. If you're an analyst, please press star one at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Once again, please press star 1 on your device's keypad if you have a question. Our first question is from Jeff Fenwick from Coremark Securities. Our line is open. Go ahead. Hi there. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, so, Keish, uh, obviously a very busy time. Uh, continues to be busy for you as you start the year here and appreciate the commentary on um, reaching a, a broader strategic plan in, in the coming months. Maybe just in the short term, what are some of the priorities you have? I mean, clearly there's been some um, additions into the executive team and a bit of changeover happening there. Maybe uh, give us a bit of color on how that's that's going, what the status is there, and maybe some other areas you might be focusing on, such as marketing. Right. So, I mean, first of all, thank you for those questions. Our, um, the uh, consulting program or the consulting contract that we have with this inter international consulting firm will be completed uh, by some time at the uh, end of this month, uh, somewhere around March uh, 20th or 25th, and we hope to announce the results of that um, plan and direction at our AGM, which will be uh, sometime early in the spring. I think it's scheduled right now for April the 29th. So that's when we will roll out uh, the message externally and uh, internally as to what our one-year and five-year plans are. Uh, and, in, in fact, that will detail out all of our key priorities. As to what we've been working on, you know, we've, we've canvassed uh, the input of all our advisors across the country uh, over the last several months. Uh, they have engaged 
uh, in uh, discussions with uh, the consulting firm. They provided input to our board of directors. Uh, we have been reaching out to external players to gather insights and data as to how to position our company for success. We've been actively engaged in talking to uh, uh, people who are recruits or advisors at other firms uh, who would now like to join us given the uncertainties behind us. So that is an active engagement uh, today and uh, very much a priority in telling that story. Uh, we have started reaching out to uh, some targets uh, that we think are like-minded firms that would be uh, great additions to uh, RF Capital. And, and these are very early stage uh, discussions, so more to come on that in the next several quarters. And in terms of our, our priorities, other than having added uh, David Leith and Natalie Bernier to our uh, board, we have been working on, and Tim, of course, Tim Wilson has now joined our team. Uh, he starts uh, April the 5th, coming to us from uh, EQ Bank, where he was at Air for nine years and a tremendous track record there. Uh, we are uh, looking at now consolidating our companies. We have a public company and a clearing broker and introducing broker into one functional management team. Uh, that functional management team uh, and, uh, you know, how it will look and feel to both the internal audience and external audience, we will announce that by the end of March. Um, I'm actually very close to that decision. And some of the other things that we're working on, we're working on with a, uh, you know, Aside from our very strong relationship with uh, Bloom Burton now uh, and Cormark, a very active engagement with our advisors and our clients receiving, you know, um, both an introduction to new opportunities in the new issue market, uh, access to research. We are partnering with uh, other firms that or at least starting the discussions with firms that have deep, deep uh, expertise in the insurance area. Uh, that relationship probably will take us another two months to cement, and when we do, uh, we think that we'll be able to expand what we provide to our high network clients. Uh, we're also working with a firm that is going to uh, give us access to uh, effectively a, a digital universe, which has uh, 3.2 million people in that digital universe that wants uh, to engage in conversations about wealth management activities with our advisors. Uh, gives us an opportunity to get, uh, uh, you know, at least certainly for our advisors, uh, a prospective new clients. Uh, we also think that that is an ideal forum for us to start marketing our brand and telling our story. Um, so there's a variety of things. So I've sort of listed a short uh, few, but I think at our AGM, we will have a fairly comprehensive view of all of our work streams to now go out and aggressively pursue and implement our strategy. Great. That's, uh, that's great color. Thanks. <clears throat> and then um, obviously a nice story here has been the uh, the growth in the AUA, as you've highlighted, and, and I guess in part here, um, helped out a bit by what's been happening in the markets. Can you offer up any color here in terms of what you're hearing or seeing from clients? Are you, are you seeing uh, some incremental client uh, inflows uh, versus uh, you know the, the benefit from the, the markets rising? Any sort of color you could offer there? And I think that we mentioned in our uh, uh, in our comments, you know, for the last five months. The uh, portfolios have grown by 3.6 billion, and uh, a big part of that was market. But there was also a billion dollars of new recruits and new assets uh, that came in through that five-month period. So that's very strong activity, uh, you know, supported by engagement by our clients and, and our advisors, but also by the market. So good, strong momentum, and I would say to you that we have been very active in the 
uh, you know, obviously the markets have been very strong, so we've had a tremendous new issue activity in both January and February, and, uh, and we're participating in all of that. Great. And then, um, I guess from financial capacity perspective, um, I think the networking capital was $88 million in the quarter. Uh, you had previously articulated the, the cash available to, to deploy and to and do investments in the firm, either acquisitive or in building out your platform. Um, are you able to provide that number and then maybe speak about uh, the ability to, to layer on some incremental debt if you wanted to? Yeah, I'll take that one, Jeff. Um, so we do need um, working capital in our caring broker business, and uh, we think we can run that um, at about $40 million of working capital. So uh, so there is uh, then $48 million, uh, remaining to, to deploy. Uh, in, in respect of, uh, of, we are looking, we do have a $67 million facility in Richardson Wealth, and we, we are looking at moving that uh, up into a public entity and out of that regulated entity. And, and we may very well add on to that, uh, that as well uh, to, to provide us additional capital. Yeah, I think that, uh, uh, just adding to that, you know, our present uh, mindset is to look to add another $40 million to our debt facility there. And mostly that debt facility will be used specifically for recruiting and um, acquisition activities and some of which I think may be deployed towards investment in our platform, which I think is a very important thing. But we think we have enough resources here uh, to uh, invest on a platform. For example, something that is critically important to our advisors is an investment in our uh, portfolio management platform. We announced a decision that we will engage in that uh, uh, initiative. It'll, it's an 18-month initiative. It'll cost us about 6 to uh, $7 million, and we committed resources to that. And there's a number of other things that they've highlighted for us, but we think we have adequate resources to continue to, in fact, prioritize investment in our platform. Right. And then uh, maybe a, a few um, more accounting-focused ones here. Uh, ben, maybe just help me out with the, the, the advisor, advisor incentives um, that were, were part of the transaction, the, the $36 million there. Um, how, how does that get accounted for? Is it, is it tucked somewhere on your balance sheet today, or uh, how, how should we uh, sort of think about where that sits in the business? Yeah, sure. So uh, it, there, there was $36 million of retention uh, awards provided. Uh, approximately about $3 million of that, Jeff, was provided in shares, and that's part of the accelerated expense that, uh, that was taken prior to the deal closing. So, so there's about $33 million left over, and, and that is sitting in our advisor loans. And, and will be amortized over the next three years on a straight line basis. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. And then the other uh, question here: appreciate the um, the pro forma, or sorry, the uh, the supplemental information on the wealth manager that you put in your press release. There, uh, I guess the one thing I, I uh, try I'm trying to understand out of that is um, I believe in those supplemental details. Uh, in that expense bucket, there was some some expense associated with the clearing, which now would be an intercorporate and get eliminated. So in, in the numbers you gave there in that supplemental, would that still include, say, a couple million bucks of, uh, of clearing-related expense that might fall away from that segment? Yeah, so actually, the way that it'll work, Jeff, um, the Richardson Wealth segment will stay uh, will stay status quo. What you'll actually see is the operations clearing uh, segment. Uh, you're going to see both a reduction in revenues and expenses in that segment to account for the fact of the intercompany transactions. And, and just to make you aware, um, for the first 10 months of 2020, 
uh, in our operations clearing segment, there's about $12 million of intercompany amounts, uh, both on the revenue and expense side. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, I think that's, that's really it. I mean, I guess the one other thing I did notice is that uh, the other revenues certainly moved um, up nicely for you. I'm guessing uh, is that sort of deal commissions just with the market activity being strong for the end of the year? And I know there's a bit of supplementary um, sort of items in there like insurance sales and things that go in that number too, but it was, is it really just sort of commission revenue that begins to push that other bucket higher? I don't know if we have the answer to what we should get back to, uh, Jeff, on that. Okay. Okay. Uh, sure. No, I appreciate it. Um, okay. I think that, that uh, that's all I had. Thank you. And Jeff, just to finish off on those numbers, that you'll see that in the coming quarters, we'll be looking to probably change our segmented reporting to uh, report just uh, everything under Richardson Wealth, one segment, and um, from an operating point of view and a corporate segment. And that'll make uh, evaluating our operating performance much much easier going forward. Because I think, you know, when you look at 2020, we had uh, Richardson Wealth was only included for two months of those results. But now you'll, you know, starting January 1st, 2021, you'll start seeing uh, full operating performance of Richardson Wealth in our results. So we thought the best way to do that is to move to two segments, easier to understand our results. That would be very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. There are no further questions registered at this time. I'd like now to turn it back over to Mr. Colella. Uh, thank you, Operator, and, and thanks, everyone, for joining us today. As always, uh, please feel free to reach out to Investor Relations if you have any further questions. Uh, have a great day and a great weekend. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.